Today's scripture reading is Proverbs 24, verses 11 and 12, and this is from the MSG version. Rescue the perishing. Don't hesitate to step in and help. If you say, hey, that's none of my business, will that get you off the hook? Someone is watching you closely, you know. Someone not impressed with weak excuses. Good morning, church. If you've got your Bibles, please open them up to John chapter 7 and verse 38. John chapter 7 and verse 38. Then I need you to help me with some um, feedback. How many of you are just thrilled that the Olympics are here and you've just been enjoying the fool out of it? All right, put your hands down. How many of you have been missing sleep because you're enjoying the Olympics so much? <laughs> yeah, me too. Oh, guilty on both accounts and loving it. Uh, love this time of the year. It comes around every four years, uh, two years for the Summer Olympics, and in two more years it'll be the Winter Olympics, but I just love them. Uh, and uh, have seen America do so well. has just been a thrill. Um, Simone Biles in gymnastics. 43-year-old Kirsten Armstrong winning a gold in cycling. Dousing the competition in swimming with names like Lily King and Katie Ledecky and Ryan Murphy. And the most decorated of all Olympians in any generation ever, Michael Phelps. Wow, what a stud muffin. It has been riveting. I tried to find a word and I wrote that one. I said it has been riveting uh, to watch the Olympics this year, especially with this guy on the screen. But i got to tell you right up front, as much as I enjoy watching gold medal performances, it's the obstacles that many of these athletes, these Olympians have overcome to get to where they are today. Those things have been the greatest inspiration for me, especially the story connected to this guy who's on the screen. Some of you may know it, some of you may not. Though he's on top of the world now, in September of 2014, Michael Phelps had reached the point he no longer wanted to live anymore. Despite the fact he had just become the all-time winningest athlete in any sport of any kind in the 2012 London Games, the swimming king had money like very few other had celebrity status like very few other. He could go anywhere he wanted. He could buy anything he wanted. He could be seen with anybody he wanted. And yet he was absolutely miserable to the point of death. That's what he told ESPN writers. I was a train wreck, he said. I was like a time bomb waiting to go off. I had no self-esteem. I had no self-worth. And there were times when I did not want to be in this world anymore. It was not good, he said. I felt totally and completely lost. Some of you may remember that it was around this time that photos began to emerge across the Internet and social media of Phelps smoking marijuana. Remember the famous bong picture? He was drinking heavily. As a matter of fact, he got arrested for two DUIs, not one but two of them. And after the last encounter with the cops, he spent four days locked inside his apartment, never left. Seriously trying to think of a way he could end his miserable life. He wanted to put an end to the pain and heartache that he was feeling, but also the pain and the heartache and the embarrassment he knew his family watching him was feeling. And then he told reporters, that's when God stepped in. Through the most unlikely of ragamuffins in the world, through his Christian friend, NFL star Ray Lewis of the Baltimore Ravens, 
Yes, the name that was at one time connected to an alleged murder attempt. Phelps' life took a dramatic turn because of a ragamuffin Christ follower by the name of Ray Lewis. He called him up and he said, look, this is when we fight, Michael. This is when real character shows up. Don't shut down now. If you shut down now, we all lose. And Michael will say through that conversation, Lewis is able to convince him to check into the Meadows, a behavioral rehab center just outside of Phoenix, Arizona. He also gave him a copy at that time of Pastor Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. I'm curious, how many of you read that book? Look at how many. Michael said, after checking into the rehab center, after having a few days to catch my breath, I began reading it. It wasn't before long that I called up my friend Ray Lewis and I said, man, this book is crazy. The things that are going on in my brain, I can't thank you enough, man. You saved my life. Phelps told reporters that it was through that book that I started believing that there's a power greater than myself and that there's a purpose for me on this planet outside swimming. Now, knowing all that put an exclamation point for me last night as Michael won another one of those amazing medals. What's the stat? I wrote it down here the first. 28 Olympic medals, 23 of them gold. Michael's continuing to live out a purpose, he'll tell you now, that has far less to do with swimming than it does have to do with water, living water. In John chapter 7, verse 38, the Bible says, Whoever believes in me, rivers of water will spring up within them like life. Living waters will flow through them. I know most of the world knows Michael Phelps for being good in the water. But very, very soon, I think more and more of us are going to know about the good water that's in Michael Phelps. Let's talk about a little bit more of that, but first let's pray. Father, we've opened our heart to you this morning with Ricky's gifts to just say we're just coming today as we are. We know we're a mess. I don't know that you maybe brought someone here today who is on the verge themselves of trying to, to find a way to get rid of this life that they're living now. Totally. And if you have, Father, I, do, I pray with all my heart that specifically your word goes into their heart in a deep, deep way. If you could use Ray Lewis, who's trying his best to follow Christ, you could use this sinful preacher who's trying to follow Christ. Please. Father, we realize that, that, that pulpits all across this country are filled with ragamuffins who are trying to speak your word. But would you, would you be with the, the minister right now who is trying to speak for the Reformed Episcopal Church in our community? Thank you for the disciples that are there that are trying to, their best to offer a life to you that you could use in a way to make a big deal about you in this world. Thank you so much for, um, for just the short time we've had already this morning. Please continue now. Pour out your spirit Speak to us in a way that only you can individually. For we ask it in Jesus' powerful name and everyone said. Man, there's a lot of things to overcome. Trying to live out the purpose and plan that God has for our lives. Physical handicaps can be tough. Mental handicaps can be tough. Emotional handicaps can be tough. Race. 
And that can be a tough hurdle. Poverty is a tough hurdle. But as tough as any of those can be, family sometimes that you're raised in can be among the toughest. Now maybe you come from a home (laughs) with great role models in it. Maybe you come from a home where you were loved and you were honored and you were challenged and you were nurtured. And I just want to say right up front, if that's true, good on you. And God bless you. I hope you understand the treasure that was placed in your life for which you had nothing to do with. Good on you. And those kind of lives, those kind of parents, those kinds of, that kind of nurturing and love, it has a way of launching you into the world. But others in this room didn't have parents like that. No, their, their, their parenting was, was more like quicksand. And all of your life you've been trying to break free from that which is trying to wrap itself around you and hold you down and hold you back. And again, God bless you. God bless you. I read a story this week of a man who had such a past. I can't imagine trying to break free from this guy's family tree. His grandfather was a murderer, and he practiced the black arts. His dad was a troublemaker who thumbed his nose at God using the temple as his, it was his own ATM machine. But his dad wound up being killed at the age of 24 by some of his own friends. And what's sad is that was the norm for the men of his culture. Prostitutes were part of their religious services at places of worship. Priests began acting like Indian shamans, treating diseases with chants. People became enamored with the worship of the stars and horoscopes. Folks gave more thought to superstitions and voodoo than they did the educating of their children. And so as you can imagine, for this young man, being born into a family like that, the term hopeful for that child, non-existent. I mean, when, you, when you've got a grandfather who practices witchcraft and a father who's a hooligan, all living in a nation that's out of control, on the day of his birth, who would have argued if they had branded this newborn a chip off the old rotten block? You can almost hear those who received birth announcements about this, this little boy. All we needed was another disaster on the throne. The apple doesn't far too fall from the tree. Now, if anybody had said anything like that about King Josiah, it would have been dead wrong. Because he wasn't a chip off the old rotten block. No, this child king absolutely defied the odds, not just in the Bible, but in all of history. He reversed the trend. He broke the mold. And all because he determined to have courageous faith in God when no one else did. So mind-boggling was both who he was and what this young man accomplished that 2,600 years, we're still talking about his life. Now, there's no doubt in the history of Israel, there have been um, kings who were wiser. There's no doubt there were kings who were wealthier. There's no doubt that there were kings who were more powerful. But it is doubtful that anybody could hold a candle to this man's courageous faith. We've been talking lately in this series of lessons that I've called Faces of Faith, what it's like to swim upstream in a downstream world. 
And I think if there's a face that I could nominate for the poster child of this entire series, it'd probably be Josiah's. I know we've talked about Abraham, the father of faith. I know we've talked about Noah. We're going to talk about Daniel. We're going to talk about Moses. All great men of faith. But my vote for poster child would be Josiah. He was born 600 years before Jesus. And when he becomes king, he inherits a throne that was both ungodly and totally dysfunctional. The great temple of God was in chaos. You got a priesthood who's operating under disorder and dysfunction that some that some way, somehow, how do you do this? The priest lost the temple copy of the law. Now, I don't know how many copies were available if there were any other than this. I really don't know. Didn't have that time to research it this week. But how do you lose the copy of the law of God's temple? Like I would misplace car keys. They misplaced the law. But these weren't car keys. These were literally, we probably don't get this that much, but maybe we're starting to. These were the keys to a nation's livelihood that were lost because the word of God had been lost. And with the sacred law of the people gone, amazingly, all of a sudden, the sacred worship of the people was gone. And what they began to experience was almost this Baskin-Robbins, 31 flavor kind of worship every single week. New idol, new way of doing every single week. And as chaotic as all that sounds, in just 31 years, King Josiah takes over the crown. And the temple gets restored. The law of God becomes the source of life and direction for the nation again. And sovereignty and sanity becomes a part of the people's lives. To the point that God finally is proud to say, that's my people down there. Now remember, Josiah's grandfather was a wicked guy by the name of Manasseh. Now if the middle part of his name sounds like a a snake, it's because he was. Interesting how his epitaph reads... In 2 Kings chapter 21, 16, Manasseh was a king who filled Jerusalem from one end to the other with the people's blood. Not his enemies, the people's blood. How about that for an epitaph? Then there was a son, King Ammon, Josiah's dad. Again, he died in a coup at the hands of his very own friends, supposedly, his own temple officers. And when they send out a posse to capture those men and hunt them down and they kill them, All of a sudden, hear this, an eight-year-old becomes king. An eight-year-old. Now, just to refresh some of your memories who haven't been around one, uh, if you're eight years old, would you stand up? Seriously, if you're eight years old, wherever you're at, stand up. Uh, Some of you, we can't see. But if if you're eight years old and you're standing, also raise your hand, okay? Oh, there you go. All right. Now... Any of you guys ready to be king? I thought so. (laughs) Okay, you guys can be seated. Anybody here in the room ready to make them king? No. We're not going to put them in charge of cereal in the morning, let alone a country. Eight years old. And all of a sudden now you're king. Well, those of you eight-year-olds, look at me. The rest of you can just go about... Texting or doing whatever you were doing, okay? But you eight-year-olds, look at me, all right? (laughs) Nobody else in this room may get this message today, but I hope you do. God used an eight-year-old to begin to change his world. And he may want to use you.
Seriously. He put you in this place on this day because he wanted you to hear this question. Could I use you? Could I use you to help change the world? He did it once. He'll do it again. If he can just find some eight-year-olds, he'll do what Josiah did. Now, I know you may not be eight years old, but some of you in here were eight once. (laughs) Not yet for some of you, but most of you in here were eight once. And I don't know why some kids emulate tyrants. I don't know why some others emulate heroes. But somehow or another, Joseph begins to sort through his family album of thugs. And he stops on a king by the name of David's life. And he says, that's who I want to grow up to be like. And I hope that encourages some of you. Because I know I'm watching this principle unfold in some of your lives and it just shocks me and it so pleases me and it so amazes me and it so encourages me. Because you've got this principle. I can't choose my parents, but I can choose my mentors. It's one of my favorite quotes of Max Lucado. I can't choose my parents, but I can choose my mentors. And I hope that every one of you whether you're eight or older, get that today. Now, anybody who knows King David, and many of you do, know that this shepherd boy king is far from a saint. But he loved God with all of his heart. And Josiah, in choosing to mimic David, also chose to honor God with all of his. And here's one of the things that happened under his leadership. The people followed Josiah's orders and they tore down all of the altars of sacrifice to the false gods. (laughs) You know what they did with those blasphemous, idolatry, idol-ridden altars? Here's what they did. They, They literally crushed them into a pulp, put it into a drink, and made the false priests that were serving at them drink it. I don't think it tasted like um, Gatorade. It certainly didn't replenish them. It killed them. And then they took the bones of those priests who, who practiced at those altars and who offered those sacrifices and they burned those bones to get rid of them completely from being anywhere in that land. Now, I can't imagine the boldness that took. Because at any age, you start questioning people's idols, let alone destroying them. And I'm telling you, the poles are going to go down. The poles are going to go down that have your name on it. And sometimes your life's going to go down with it. But history records Josiah was not concerned about anybody's approval rating except God's. He wasn't in this for the popularity. He was in this to make a statement. What my fathers taught, I do not teach. And what they've embraced, I'm rejecting. I'm following God, period. That's a bold statement to make in any generation. And get this, he did all of that at the age of 22. He's grown up by now. He's doing some rather adult things by now. Before he had counselors and he had people who helped to direct him a little bit. But by now, he's becoming his own man. He's becoming his own leader. Four years later, he launches a restoration project for the temple. Because the house of God, believe it or not, had fallen into a shambles. His forefathers had allowed it to fall into humiliating disrepair. But a fire, I'm telling you, was lit inside this young man, and he brought the glory back to the temple. 
And here's where we see a transition that I want every one of you to note. In the beginning of Josiah's revival, he took cues from what he knew David to be like and the God that he thought David's God was. But as you read this scripture in 2 Chronicles 34 and verse 8, you note something. In Josiah's 18th year's king, he made Judah and the temple pure again, and he sent Shapen to repair the temple of the Lord, the God of who? Mm, Josiah now. He's not serving the God of David. He's serving the God of Josiah. He may have found God in David, but right now he made God his. And one day, <laughs> I don't know how this happened. As the temple was being renovated, one of the workers moved a crate, rolled away a stone, unlocked a box, something. And they find the then scroll of the word of the Lord. And knowing where their king was going, whoever found that makes a beeline to his quarters and says, you are not going to believe what we found. Unwraps the scroll and starts reading. And he reads and he reads until he can't read anymore because his king has torn his clothes and is on his knees and is a puddle in front of him. He finds a prophetess and he asks her, what kind of trouble are we in? Because he had seen how far the word of the Lord was from them being the people of the Lord. And here's what she said. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Please don't dismiss those words as just words of antiquity, please. An entire generation, hear me, receives grace because of the integrity of that one man. They deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth. And you know what? God was making plans to do that until this man stands where he is and says, Not on my watch. Not in my heart. Not as much as I have anything to do with it. We will serve the Lord. And I think that's been a consistent theme, not just throughout this series called The Faces of Faith, but this entire story of God. We've seen it over and over, haven't we? And it's this. The faithfulness of one can overcome the faithlessness of many. From cover to cover. If there's one running theme in here, it's the faithfulness of one can cover the faithlessness of many. But there's got to be a one. And what God's asking today is, will you be that one? Will you be the one? Whether you're 8 years old or 80 years old, will you be the one? He can do so much with one person who decides to live by faith, who believes that what doesn't exist can exist because our God exists. Say it with me. You know it now. Because what doesn't exist can exist because God exists. Can that be you? Will that be you? Sister, I'm praying that it could be. All week long I've been asking God, please, please, now, this time, this place. Will you please, sister, hear the word of God in your life? Would you make it the word of God for your life? And saying, faithfulness starts here with me. Integrity starts here with me. Purity starts here with me. Christ-likeness starts here with me. Regardless of those who have gone before me, regardless of those who are surrounding me, God, you have this heart right now. 
Just as I am, you have this heart right now. Let this be the beachhead for your righteousness. Let this be the beachhead for how you value a human being. May your will be done in me and through me to the glory of your throne forever and ever. And the church said, would that be you? Brother, could that be why God birthed you into this world? He said, well, Jimmy, no way. (laughs) You don't know where I've come from. You don't know what I've done. Not just my parents, but me. Well, I just want to be very honest. That matters a little. But do you know what matters most? It's where God wants to take you. If you'll have faith that he can remake you. Now, that wasn't in my notes, but I need to write that one down. That was good. I think I'll get the CD myself. You see, I get it personally. Maybe like Josiah's family tree, you don't have much to brag about. Maybe worse, you know firsthand what it's like, excuse me, to see raw evil in this world. And I'm sorry that the woman who said yes has experienced that. It's been amazing the number of stories that I've heard since I've been here in Kerrville. Not just from Medina moms, but some that don't just stun me, they break me. That anybody would have to endure that and try to overcome that. And I'm sorry for every single one of you who have experienced brokenness no human being deserves to experience. I'm sorry. But do you realize that you have God's word on this? That His word of God in you is more powerful than anything that's happened to you. Please hear me. Please hear this. His word of God in you is more powerful than anything that's happened to you. And he surrounded you with a group of people who will walk with you if you'll let them. So that we can be everything that this God of ours has dreamed for us to be. Everything. And he's just looking for one person. Who believe that and walk in that and live in that. Now, like Josiah, every single one of us in this room has a choice to make. Do you rise above your past and make a difference or do you remain controlled by the past and make excuses? It's amazing how many choose the latter. It breaks God's heart how many people choose the latter. They swim in a sea of excuses. If only I had been born to a different family. One with more money. One with both sets of parents. If only they had been less strict or, or more in touch. Or if only my parents had gone to church and on and on. And Sister, maybe you've used such words. Maybe you have every right to use them. Like Josiah, maybe you were hearing the ten count before you ever even got in the ring. And thumbing through your family album, you might not easily find any ancestor worth intimidating, worth imitating. Maybe a lot that are intimidating, but not worth imitating. If that's the case, can I show you something? (laughs) This is great. You can put down the entire family album. And you can pick up this family album, all right? And you can turn to this picture and these words. Human life comes from human parents, but spiritual life comes from spiritual parents. 
Eternal life comes from spiritual parents. Abundant life comes from spiritual parents. And God's inviting every single one of you. Come on. Come on. Get in the water with me. Let the water get in you. That will well up within you like living water and change everything about you. Now chew on that one for a moment. Every one of you hearing me, please... Human life comes from human parents, but spiritual life comes from spiritual parents. Your parents may have given you your genes, but listen to me, God gives you grace. Your parents may be responsible for the body that you have, but God is responsible for your new heart. You may get your looks from your mom, but you will get eternity from your father, your heavenly father. Didn't have a good father? Galatians 4, 7 says that through God, you're his son. If you are a son, you're certainly his heir. He'll be your father. Didn't grow up with much of a role model? Try Jesus. Ephesians 5 and verse 1 says, You are God's children who He loves. Try to be like Him. You say, Well, I never had a parent who ever even wiped away one of my tears. Oh, yes, you did. You just hadn't met Him yet. David tells us of Him in Psalms 56, 8. You have seen me tossing and turning through the night. You've collected all my tears in a bottle. You've recorded everyone in the book. That's the Father that you have. No, I can't control how my forefathers responded to God, and neither can you. But I can control how I respond to Him now. The past doesn't have to be anybody's prison. It can be our wake-up call, though. I have the power to leave a legacy of faith. I wrote those words down, and I just kind of stopped for a little while, and I said, really, God? I know I believe that, kind of, but really, I have the power to leave a legacy of faith through my life? He said, oh, yeah. There's so much I've never had a voice in. (laughs) There's so much I'll never have a voice in. But I can't have a voice in this, that my family will have a destiny of faith. I can have a voice in that. And I'm here to challenge every single one of you hearing me, especially. Let me go a little bit older than eight. Our teens. There's a sign on our back lot that says, you're about to enter the mission field. Some of you don't go out that way, so you've never seen it. How many of you never have seen that sign? Several of you, okay. It's in our back lot, beautiful daisies, and it says, you're about to enter the mission field now. Well, I'm going to say this to our teens. You're about to enter the mission field now. And what I'm asking is, is, would you be that one? Would you be the Josiah that goes into your band hall? Would you be that Josiah that... That's a part of the football team. Would you be that Josiah that's, a, that's standing next to someone in a locker? Would you be that Josiah who chooses their friends wisely to make an impact but not be impacted on if it's stuff of the world? Would you be a Josiah? Because if there's anything this story tells us this morning is that young people can change the world. Us old people can so mess it up, but you young people can change the world. He's just looking for one. That's all. Garrett, would you be that? Aubrey, would you be that? Just one. You don't have to do it by yourself. Look at the army that's sitting around you. They'll help you if if you'll help each other. Josiah made a difference as a teen. And I'm asking our teens to make a difference because I believe they can. I've watched some of them 
around this church building serving our kids during VBS. I've watched them serving others as they've, they've had refreshments and things like that, worked in classes. And I think we have a group of teens that can change the world. I do. I know that's something a preacher's supposed to say, but I believe it. But you've got to believe it. And God's hoping you will. And he's hoping that some parents will help him. <laughs> and believe that together we really can change the world. That we can make a difference. Because his word is in us and his spirit is in us and this family is surrounding us. We can make a huge difference. But the question is, is what are you going to do? <laughs> are you going to make excuses? Are you going to do your best to allow him to make his home in you? And to be the beachhead through you to the rest of the world? While in the meadows, Michael Phelps finally dealt with a wound that he hadn't dealt with his entire life. That was part of the reason why he was in the meadows. I don't know if you've seen this, but I've been watching Michael Phelps swim and win those gold medals. I don't know. I, I could probably count on one hand the gold medals I haven't seen him win. And every time after they're done, they pan up to where his mom is, where the family is. Did you ever see dad? Dad's not there. Dad wasn't welcome to be there. And it was part of that wound that stayed with Michael that even though he's won all these gold medals, it still nearly killed him. Nearly killed him. Until he had some time to reflect there in the meadows about a father he could invite into his life that could change everything. And so because he did, because he welcomed grace into his life, he could extend it. And on family week, he invited his dad to come. Dad was shocked he got the invitation. Michael was shocked that he would come, and they did, and they hugged, and they, they begged for each other's forgiveness, and they're trying, trying their best to figure out this dad-son thing. And did you notice at this Olympics when they panned up there? Dad's still missing. Still missing. It takes some wounds a long time to heal, even though God's grace is in them. And so they're still working on that. But Michael will tell you he's not leaving it where it is now. I think it's probably his most shining moment. Even more so than any gold that he's won. Gold medals can't repair relationships. But the wood of a cross can. And it is doing that. And it can do that in your life. It can restore relationships. It can restore self-esteem. It can restore brokenness and hurt and disillusionment if you'll let it in. All morning long we've been singing a song saying, God, here we are. Come on, take me just as I am. Do something with this. Did you mean it? We've got one more song we're going to sing about this wonderful, merciful Savior that we have who can, if you'll let him, change everything. And if you'll allow him to change you, he can change the world through you. Now, we're going to stand up here and sing, and I don't have gold medals to pass out to anybody. No medals to wrap around anybody's neck, but I got, I got something maybe better. I've got the love of Christ to wrap around your neck. Say, come on in, get you some of this. It changes everything. Our elders are going to be at the back. They're going to be placing some of that love around people's shoulders that want to come. And, and there's something maybe in your life we need to pray over and just beg God like we did Evie's injury. 
to pray over some injury you have. This morning you want to make today the day you come out with your faith. Michael's coming out with his faith slowly, but it's coming out. And if today you want to go public with your faith, we'll baptize you right now. Right back here, we can put, we can wash you clean of every sin, every failure, every mistake, every ounce of shame in your life can be gone in a moment because the blood of Christ is that powerful. This Savior is that wonderful. And I'm going to be standing right down here, and if you want to give your life to Christ, please come find me. If we can help you just be the body of Christ in any way, find one of our elders, all right? Let's stand and let's praise Him, church.